Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Welcome to this week's show. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome. Hello. Hi there. We might we'll have, have a Esther, too. <laughs> yeah, good. It's always good to have our studio cat, you know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got... Uh, Good show coming up this week. We're going to be talking a little bit about the different kinds of comic cons and other pop culture conventions that are out there because there's a lot of different options. And this is actually a topic that probably deserves a lot more time than we can give it on the air here. But there's a lot going on and a lot of these events are starting to come back up post COVID, which is kind of nice now too to see. And, you know, so it's kind of cool. Basically, whatever one likes, there's probably something out there that deals with it. We're going to be doing a Q&A, and I think this is the first time this year we've actually done a Q&A and got a I lot of so. questions that have come in and hmm. answering some different things. One of the bigger questions is the Wi-Fi 6, and is it worth upgrading and all of that? So we'll touch upon that a little bit. We've got a lot of really cool other stuff coming up that we're going to talk about on the show this week. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. What do we have in the news? Okay, so Sony promises increased supply of PS5 consoles ahead of PS VR2 launch. Right, so the PlayStation Virtual Reality 2 headset, which is what that is, okay, is launching on February 22nd, so not this coming week, but the week after. And that's something that is a device that will work with the, your PlayStation 5 if you have one, which uh-huh. you haven't been able to get. Now, you know, I look at this from a couple of different things. I wanted to get a PS5 when they first came out, now two years ago. <laughs> now it's kind of, to me, old technology. I mean, it's been on the market for two years. I haven't been able to get one. They're cool. Mm-hmm. And everyone that I've seen is is interesting, but it's not new anymore. So it's like you're buying into something that's been out for a while. If you can get them, which you still can't, at least I haven't been able to figure out a place. I've, you know, looked online, Amazon, Best Buy, went to the store. They're still not sitting on the shelf. Let's just wow. say. Wow. So that sounds Sounds they're going to increase the supply by the 22nd. We'll see if that happens. Maybe they will. Yeah. Uh, you know, they still got a week and a half to do it. <laughs> so, maybe. Well, maybe we'll they're see. busy working somewhere. You know? Yeah, you know, it's just uh, working somewhere to build them, right? You know, <laughs> and I know, you know, there's been a lot of reasons why this has been a problem. The chip supply chains, all of that kind of stuff. But a lot of that is um, starting to wane you know things are getting a little bit bad i don't know if normal is the right word but at least it's a little more normal than it was for a while and um you know you go on and look at these type of things and uh interestingly enough as we're talking about it while we're recording here i'm just looking at best buy's website and for the first time i've seen it i actually could order one online right now it's available okay maybe they are seven days to get it it's the uh god of war version god of war ragnarok that sounds like an interesting game um, $559.99. So it is the normal sales price for something like that. So, hey, you know, maybe they're doing it. We'll see what happens. Okay. Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony are reportedly all skipping the E3 2023. Yeah, so E3 is the big entertainment, uh, electronic entertainment expo um, that's held, I think it's in Los Angeles. So uh, we talked about going there a few years in the past and kind of never did. And yeah, there seems to be a lot of uh, the interest. I don't know is waning. I'm sure that's political and some other things and just general um, situation. But when you look at it, that all three of these companies don't feel like it's necessary to show off their products at an expo like that one has to question, you know, what is absolutely going on. Mm-hmm. So as far as we know right now, 
we're not going to see Xbox, PlayStation 4, Switch, any of those products really shown off. I'm sure there'll be a lot of other things to see, but the big three, at least at this point, are not planning on making an appearance. Hmm. FCC threatens to disconnect Twilio for illegal robocalls. All right, so Mm. we need to first of all explain what all of that means because that's yes. a bit of techno babble and okay uh, what is a, a twilio i'm i'm twilio stupid is a service online <laughs> okay I've used it as a programmer many times that allows you to do automated functions with the telephone network okay so oh. in other words if i have a system for my business that automatically sends a text message to say remind you for an appointment or get a confirmation code they might use and probably do use twilio to do that Ah. So my server connects to their system, tells it what they want to do, and then their system is connected to the telephone network and actually sends out the message. And you can make calls, do all kinds of things with this. It's actually a very powerful system, and it's been around for a while. It's not new. Um, It's something that is kind of a go-to and is used, not real expensive to use or integrate into your system either. The problem is, is they are dealing with robocalls where their systems are selling their service and systems are doing robocalls, which are illegal. And they are kind of the enabling gateway to allow this third party to connect to the cell phone system and send you a robocall. And as we know, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of legislation and work designed to block a lot of this type of stuff, robocalls, fraudulent stuff, texts, all these different things. They've come up with a system that more or less has done away with being able to fake the caller ID and phone number on your phone. Not all of the cell phone providers are completely compatible or compliant with it. But it is getting a lot better, and there are less robocalls now than there were two years ago. Doesn't mean there's less scams or any of that, but it does seem like it is at least starting to make a little bit of a dent. So I think that's where the FCC is actually going with this, saying, hey, either you guys govern yourselves properly and figure out a way to block the illegal robocalls, or you're not going to have access to the telephone system which would certainly destroy their business model. So yeah, we'll see I what they so. end up. I'm curious to see how they fix this because they're a respectable company and they're big enough that I think that they will work towards some kind of a solution here and how they're going to be able to do that is going to be kind of an, almost a curiosity that I want to see what they come up with. Uh, see, it looks like G- uh, Google is launching chat GPT rival. Yeah. So chat GPT, we've talked about this a little bit. In the past, AI chat box uh, by OpenAI that interacts in a conversational way and actually does it quite well, can answer questions, do a lot of different things. You don't know necessarily that you're talking to a computer in certain situations. It's hmm. just like having a conversation. And from that standpoint, it has uh, really been kind of almost a disruptive thing that are causing good and bad situations, as you can imagine, from something yeah. like that. It, Actually, and I played with, played with it a little bit. It can write computer code. It can write college papers. Uh, hmm. You know, so <laughs> you can imagine. I'm, I'm sure nobody would use that for plagiarism or anything like that. But <laughs> um, it is possible it could happen, right? Sure. Would it be plagiarism and, um, or cheating? Uh, which I would say, for if you have somebody or something else write your college papers, I think that qualifies as cheating. At least in my opinion, it yeah. would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> however, um, they don't want. ChatGPT to be the only one out there. Google is launching a chat box called Bard, and oh it's going to roll out in coming weeks. And this Does is going to be uh, 
I don't know. I With don't the name know. Right, right place. Yeah. I was thinking right place. The Bard, Shakespeare, you know, all that. Oh, but, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh I was thinking singer, you know. Yeah, I was thinking singing D&D. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> all right, well. Okay. So anyway, so we'll see what that comes up with. And, you know, we all know about Microsoft's little uh, foray into this a few years ago. It ended up with a uh, AI chatbot that in one day became one of the most racist and obnoxious <laughs> things out there. Yes. So, you know, you can definitely have some problems. That doesn't seem to be the case now, but as the technology moves ahead, you know, you might have some unexpected side effects. Uh, solar to dominate new U.S. electric generating capacity in 2023. Uh, and this is this information comes from the U.S. Energy Information Ad- Administration. Yeah, so... You know, interesting, they are planning to add 54.5 gigawatts of new electronic generating capability in 2023, and a little bit more than half of that will be solar energy. That's cool. That's awesome. At least what the EI said. Yeah. And the uh, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 contained about $370 billion for climate change and clean energy initiatives, such as solar and wind energy, which is where a lot of the money is coming for this. And... You know, you look at it, it's kind of been a double-edged sword because like in 2022, the additions of solar capacity declined actually by 23% versus 2021, not due to investment, but due to supply chain problems. They couldn't get the parts, you know, that kind of a thing. So going the other way in 2023 here will be interesting. And along with this is in footnote is the ability to store energy because solar, wind, all that kind of stuff generates when it's able to do that. That's another area where this is being developed. So getting the capacity online is important, but also the ability to use that capacity. Because with normal energy production, you generate the energy. It's just like my generator in the backyard. Uh, when it's turned on, it generates a certain amount of energy. If I don't use it, it's just wasted. Unless I have something like a power wall or something where I can charge it and then have the battery store that energy for later time. And, uh, you know, so this is a full thing. It's a Definitely got a number of components, but it is interesting to see this ramp back up. I've also been hearing some positive things about another topic we've talked about with renewable energy, and that's the ability to recycle the solar panels. And it looks like there's an initiative coming up. We'll talk about it a little later in the year when it gets a little more developed. It is actually going to be able to recycle these things at scale and not just recycle, but rebuild where the existing component can be upgraded and kind of refreshed and then put back out in the field. Cool. Got a great show for you this week. Stay tuned. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, and this is the section of the show where you ask questions and we give answers. We haven't done this for a while. No. Nope. So, uh, you know, there's a number of things that have come in. We've uh, used a lot of your questions for some of our topics, but uh, to actually do a Q&A is going to be kind of fun here. And send us your questions. UserFriendlyShow.com is our website. We've got a brand new website this year, which makes it a lot easier to interact. All of our social media is up there. There's a few new platforms we're on. Just shoot them in. Let us know what you're thinking, and we'd love to answer them on the air. So what is our first question today? Where is the best place to look for a tech job? Yeah, so I talked to our listener on this trying to figure out, uh, because the way that I understood this question was kind of, well, do I apply in California or New York? It's not, that's not what they're talking about, actually. (laughs) I was thinking websites. (laughs) Which websites? Industry and that type of a thing. Now, we've talked in the last couple of weeks, and everybody has on the news and tech, 
about the number of layoffs and it keeps coming. Zoom has announced some more layoffs this week that they're doing. And uh, in a lot of the tech industry, we're seeing this. And one would think that this is creating a huge glut of programmers and other technical people that can't find work, which is turning out to simply not be true. It's certainly causing some churn, but it's not causing huge unemployment in the industry. And right now, the best place to look really seems to be non-tech industries. There's a lot of companies out there that need people to get involved that might focus on other things that have a technology component that really do need good, strong people. And those work environments can be really, really good. Now, if you're coming off of an Apple or a Google where basically every day you've gone to work in a resort, you know, which some of these <laughs> campuses are, they're set up that way. And and there's nothing wrong with that. It's quite cool, in my opinion. I like it. I mean, you know, the meditation suites at the Twitter might be a little over the top, but you have stuff like this going around. You're not going to find those type of things in a smaller company, but you will find a good group of people to work with. And in my experience, a lot less backstabbing than sometimes you see in the bigger companies and the ability to bring your craft and actually do some good that's more than just churning out something for some huge scenario. Yeah, because, I mean, things like universities, don't they need um, technical people and government Absolutely. agencies? In fact, Stanford's hiring right now. If you want to go work for a university in your California, check out their website. They've got some really good openings at $150,000 a year. So the amounts are still around. The positions, it's just a little bit different than what it's been. Has Google Maps become any better? So, boy, is that a loaded mm. question for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I don't have any problems with them, but I, I use it differently than you do. So explain. Well, I don't I don't have problems with Google Maps. I mean, they get the job done, mm -hmm. but it's like the Volkswagen of mapping systems, the real kind of <laughs> cool stuff. Uh, and I don't hate Volkswagens either. I do have a 66 Beetle, so maybe I shouldn't use that analogy. But the point being is that my issue with this has been a couple of things, and it has to do with Android Auto and. Uh, uh, Apple's version of that CarPlay and all of these things that the manufacturers are trying to force on us. You can't get a navigation system. You have to use this stuff. Google Maps, for what it is, does a good job. And you have Google Earth and some of these other things, Street View, which are some really cool features that you don't see in other applications. My big issue has been the integration of this into the car and being forced to use it. I have no problem with having CarPlay and Android Auto as an option. I just don't want it to be the only option. Now I'm not allowed, hello, Nissan, to buy a navigation system in my car because they don't offer it anymore. That's the yeah, problem. The That's freedom weird. to choose is really nice. And actually, when you have multiple companies doing the same thing and uh, there's, there's that idea to innovate and make things better, yeah. and when you just have one person doing it, Sometimes maybe they start to plot along and mm -hmm. plot along a little bit. And some of the things <laughs> are, that are going on here too is situations like one of the problems, fundamental problems with something like Google Maps and Android Auto is the fact that when you don't have coverage on your cell phone because it's reliant on the cell phone, it doesn't work right or at all. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, you can go in and download offline maps. They expire after 30 days. But if you think to do it, you can do it. But you still are bringing your own equipment. You're still having to think about all that going forward. And the system is very limited. I've had problems where I've been out of the coverage area, usually on the Oregon coast. There's not a lot of cell phone coverage. Yeah. But if I put in an address, it just simply won't function unless I thought prior to the trip to download maps and all this stuff, which you don't do. We've, the other we've thing had is scary things where uh, we've had come home uh, down through Oregon and, and into California, and there's been storms, and we didn't know roads were closed or the conditions were bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah because all, all that requires online, you know, capability in order to function. Now, most integrated car navigation systems use something like Sirius XM traffic that rely on the satellite signal, which pretty much does work everywhere. So there's a you know a lot of better in coverage and that type of a thing. Plus, you're not dependent on your own device and all of that. But one of the other issues I have is my current car does not have any kind of navigation built into it. I've been desperately trying to add it. The way it's made, it's 2017, is it's very difficult, if not impossible, to convert it out without rebuilding half the car and cutting wires and voiding warranties and all this stuff to change the head unit. So I have a little Garmin. I haven't been happy with that because the destinations rely on Foursquare and are wrong half the time or very out of date. So are their maps. Mm. I don't seem to update them that often. So I'm trying to work with Android Auto just because the maps on Google are more up to date. But the problem is because I have to have a third-party screen, it forces the audio from my phone to the screen that has a terrible speaker in it. So now I can't stream music from Pandora onto my car stereo because Android Auto monopolizes that audio output and there's no way to split it up i mean i'm thinking about maybe trying to hack it to get it to do it because that should be technically possible but it's the way they have it set up now on a positive side of this pool walk is out and it has drastically improved in my opinion the user interface it now looks like something modern instead of something ancient so my (laughs) answer on that question is it better maybe a little bit you know okay (laughs) So now, what is the difference between Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E? You know, it's a funny thing. If you look besides up a the definition, letter. <laughs> besides the letter, you know, <laughs> if you look up a definition of this, a lot of the websites and stuff will say, well, they're exactly the same. That is absolutely not true. Um, so Wi-Fi 6 is the most current version of Wi-Fi. These used to be done with letters like AX and stuff, and they still have that. But they've started numbering them just because it is a little bit better to deal with. And Wi-Fi 6 is an incredibly fast Wi-Fi protocol. 6E, what the E stands for is extended. And basically what the difference is between the two is fundamentally they are the same, but E brings in the 6 gigahertz band. So you have an additional set of frequencies that can be used to run your Wi-Fi. And that being the case, you end up with a situation where you don't have as much traffic So like the 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz bands, especially 2.4, have a lot going on wireless phones and different things like that. A lot of your household smart devices will run in that range. 5 is better, but still can be very congested. But the 6 gigahertz is a lot more open. It has a lot more available channels. So you don't have a lot of the connection. Now, I'm hitting speeds of 1.3 gigabit Wi-Fi, documentably and benchmarkably so, with 6E. So it does deliver a very fast experience, faster than my wired network. It's the first time I've ever seen huh. that. Hmm, that's cool. And it works well, and it doesn't drop out. I've had a lot of that with my old uh, mesh system. This doesn't seem to have that. So I recommend it. It's expensive. You're going to drop four or $500 upgrading. But in my opinion, if you use Wi-Fi, it's worth it. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We will be back after the break. Check us out at userfriendlyshow.com. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Pop culture events are back in mass. It's nice to see a lot of these coming back. We are missing a few that seem to have become victim to the COVID problems. 
and it costs a lot of money to put on these events. But I'm glad to see that we're getting a lot of them out here. Coming up in Portland is the Fan Expo, and that's going to be a fun one. They have an amazing lineup, and there's a lot more going on this year, which we'll talk about as the year goes forward. But one of the questions we have asked is, what kind of events are these? Because a Comic-Con is very kind of almost a generic description. Kind of, Guys, yeah. what do you think? What, what, what do you have out there? What do you think of when you think of Comic-Con? Uh, when I think of a Comic-Con, it's usually uh, there's uh, some vendors selling comic books. There's some vendors selling their art based on whether or not they drew for a comic book or comic book-based art. Uh, there's going to be panels and discussions about comic books, and there might be some artists from comics, like you know, from Marvel or DC or Image or whatever, who are actually at the convention talking about stuff, selling art, and all things like that. And you might get some people dressed up in in costumes, right? And um, maybe some famous people that are involved in those things as well. There's a lot of these events that have specific focuses, and I think that's mm -hmm. what you've given is a very good description. Costume is actually a type of convention that focuses around that. That's true. And then you, your comics broken down into various pop culture things. So a regular Comic Con, like what we went to in Seattle last year, has all of that mm -hmm. and kind of these other components. But then you have specific genres, anime being an example, uh, fantasy, horror, role-playing, furry, uh, steampunk, steampunk toys. All these things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there yeah. was one and in California that we went to that had tons and tons of vintage toys. Yeah, that was that was a toy toy convention. That yeah, was a, a toy fun. fun. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. I don't yeah. know if they still do it or not. That was a few years ago now, but that was a really cool one. And, well, uh, half of that city burned down after a couple of weeks after we'd been there. That's true. Yeah. So I don't but, even know yeah. if the city exists. But anyway, but the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, there are specific things that are focused basically on maybe what your interest is in. Right. It's a little more than just a kind of a generic quote Comic Con. And in fact, that's mm -hmm. actually, I believe, a copyrighted thing for San Diego Comic Con. Probably. Uh, as far as their <laughs> name goes. And it's just become kind of a generic, almost like Windex, you know. Or Xerox. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, um, you know, role playing is another one. And when you see components of this role playing video gaming, that almost ends up being kind of its own genre, which usually seems to be a little bit a part of uh, some of the bigger conventions like the e-gaming and that type of a thing. But there are events out there where you just go to game, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever your, your yeah. uh, like would be on that. And those can be a lot of fun, too. And you still might see people in costume dressed as characters and all that yeah. kind of stuff that certainly exists. But the focus on that, you might not have one comic book at that kind of a convention right. because it's focused around these other things. But you right. might have Chainmail, the very original D&D, &D, you know, mm -hmm. on display. So it just depends kind of on, on what you're interested. What is your favorite genre? I'm going to throw that out at you guys. I enjoy going to the, basically a generic convention just because they seem okay. to throw everything they can yeah. into the thing. They want to get all the vendors. They want to get all the people. And, you know, on all your local vendors, you got a hobby store, a gaming store, and a bunch of people who make things, and they all show up and you can wander around and find some of the coolest things. I, yeah, I kind of think I agree with you. I like that broad range of, of everything. Yeah, there were, um, the last Comic-Con we went to in Nevada, they had um, famous people like the, uh, the armorer from The Mandalorian. She was there uh, doing signing autographs and things. There was a bunch of, of uh, local businesses that had stuff that I didn't know actually were in town. Um, and I, I found things that I've never seen at a convention before. If someone selling patches and uh, a whole bunch of coins, like um, like Star Wars coins, like one, one side was the Jedi, one side was the Sith Empire. 
but it was like a um, a challenge coin. And I, I haven't seen that before. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and you know, I think the, some of the creative components are so, stuff that I really think is cool. Go ahead, Gretchen. I like the creative twist that um, Sandy, uh, not San Diego, it was Silicon Valley had where they had the science component. That was kind of yeah. fun too. Yeah. I always liked that and, too. I like, NASA had a beautiful setup. Yeah. There, and, 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 you know, NASA is part of the inspiration for, or maybe NASA was inspired by science fiction. I don't know either way, but they go hand in hand. So, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And that's one of my favorite pictures as I was in my uh, cosplay as a Wookiee inside of a NASA spacesuit. So you look in and see my Wookiee head through the mask. In the space <laughs> yeah, suit. that was cool. <laughs> that was fun. That was just a lot of fun. I, that, that picture is on my desk, you know. <laughs> but uh, but no we've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it so we'll see what this year brings let us know what's your favorite comic-con what do you like what do you want to see and what are you going to let us know let us know what you find out we'd love to talk about it this is user-friendly 2.0 we'll be back after the break Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is another topic that came in from a listener question that has to deal with the idea of online language translation. And this is a technology that's developed uh, actually over a much longer period of time than one might think. It really has very little fanfare, but is actually doing a lot in the world right now because of the fact that it actually exists. So a little bit of history on this, just a real quick look back is research was done on machine language translation starting really in the 1960s. And at that time, it was deemed impossible because of subtleties in language and different things like that, and the fact that dialects and all that kind of thing were learned and based, and there wasn't really a way to build it out. Now, fast forward to 2001, and you start having the beginnings of AI and machine learning and all that type of stuff coming out. And one of the, a number of companies started to get into this, but one that we do see a lot is Google's Translate, translate.google.com. And in the beginning of this, you could get some translation. I mean, you would get, maybe get the gist of it. Yeah. What it would generally come up with was not exactly grammatically accurate, <laughs> um, you know, or things like that. And, and, and that's how it was. It had its place, but it certainly uh, uh, was more of a you know, a tool to be able to use in certain situations instead of mainstream until about 2016. And in 2016, Google applied AI to this platform. And in the year from 2016 to 2017, it made about as much process and improvement as it did from 1960 to 2016. So huge, huge step up in the right direction on that and its ability to be able to do things. And now today in 2023, it's actually a very usable thing. It's not 100% accurate. You will get some glitches and phrases and that type of a thing, but you certainly understand what's being translated. And you might not know where a lot of this thing is, these things are being implemented. One example is Twitter. You tweet in your language, and it shows up in the person's language that's reading it automatically. Really? doesn't matter. It's kind of so cool. At, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just part of the system. And one question that comes out is with the uh, massive, obnoxious invasion of Ukraine that's going on right now by the monsters in Russia, we are seeing a lot more worldwide support 
for the Ukrainian people than we might have in previous years. And this tool is a big part of it. So, huh. so for example, Europe has a lot of different languages. The countries themselves sometimes have more than one. Oh, yeah. In communication with each other, it made it very difficult. But now all of a sudden, somebody in Ukraine can post what's going on and anywhere in the world, the person reading it understands what they're doing. It's kind of like a universal translator. Like in Star Trek? And like, a, like a Star Trek type thing, you know, when it comes down to that. <laughs> and the bottom line of it is, is this makes a difference. Now, a little bit of demographics here, just looking at Ukraine as an individual country, there's actually about 20 spoken languages there. Wow. Really? So okay. you wouldn't think of you wouldn't think of it, but uh, but there are definitely that. Uh, twenty twenty one was when this last study was done. Was sixty seven percent of the population spoke Ukrainian, thirty percent spoke Russian as their first language, and Ukrainian, of course, is the official language. Belongs to the Russian and Belarusian to the East Slavic branch of the Slavic language family. I hope I'm saying those words right. I am yeah. not a universal translator, <laughs> and. Um, you know, it has similarities to Russian, but also to the Polish language. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and then some of the other things where you go from there, we have Romanian as a first language by a lot of people. Crimean, Tartar, Tatar, I think is how you say that. Bulgarian, Hungarian, and the list goes on. So in one wow. country, you have a lot of different languages. And at one time, that separated people. However, mm -hmm. with these automatic translation tools in the internet, that language barrier tends go away wow and that's interesting it is helping out a lot the world knows what's going on it's much more difficult to try and hide it and it does make it you know a lot better being able to talk to each other is a big deal mm -hmm. and Agreed. being able to talk freely is that <laughs> type of a thing now Richard, i know your background is in writing and language and english yeah. i think so yeah What's your feeling on, you know, people in the world say that English is one of the most difficult languages to deal with, almost as bad as Latin would have been for the Romans. Yeah. No, actually, Latin, it has lots of rules and it's very straightforward. Um, English is a bit more chaotic because it has its origins in several different languages. You have um, Norse and you have like a Germanic and you have Celtic and then you have an influx of the French <laughs> coming into the country and so we have all kinds of weird spellings and it's just that's just the way english is and we seem to be super flexible in that you can screw things up and still get an idea of what the person's trying to say but if you screw things up like in german or french you might offend somebody right but in English, we can kind of sit there and kind of go, oh, yeah, I know what they're talking about. I know what they mean. If they got their past tense screwed up, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, so you're I still, think, you're still, and I understand what you're saying with that. I know yeah. like in the Hungarian language, which I believe might be an off-world language. Uh, language Hungarian so. is, a, is, a, is a creature all of its own. Yeah, it it's is all of its not own. related to any of the other languages. And here's the thing about Hungarian is the tense on the syllable in a word completely mm -hmm. changes the definition of the word. So you don't really have that in, in uh, English, but you do have that in that language. So we're like if uh, the word for menu, which I'm not going to attempt to say, but uh, uh -huh. I've seen it said one way is menu and said the other way is an insult. Uh, oh, you, you know, it's oh, that kind of a difference. Oh, yeah, I, I think there's weird. something like with Chinese that's that way. If yeah, you yeah. if you say the word, let's say we'll just say what and what or what. If you'd say it differently, it's supposed to mean different things. <laughs> and it can yeah. mean completely if there's no yeah. there's no comparison right. at all. So 
And this is where machine learning, I think, has made this more of a option to be able to work. Because mm-hmm. to try to do that, something like that from straight computer programming would be next to impossible because you'd have to try to manually figure out all the different contingencies and stuff like that. And you still probably wouldn't be able to completely get it right. And it'd be a massive amount of uh, capability to even process something like that. And then translating spoken language in real time requires voice recognition. Yeah, You know, again, so I, and I can see why in 1960, they're looking at this as this is a daunting task. Oh, it would have been very simply not possible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But um, but it is something interesting, something to think about, something that most of us do use every day, whether we really know it or not. Mm-hmm. The reality is, at the end of the day, this has opened a lot of doors and made the world a lot smaller of a place in some ways and is helping out in ways that we might not even consider. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. So great show this week. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the easing of some of the supply chain issues that we've seen over the last couple of years. And one of the other areas that this works into is toys. And I know you guys have been seeing this a little bit. So what have you yeah. found? Well, we have a collection of the Black Series six inch Star Wars toys. And I used to like to take them out and photograph them and have fun with that. Yes. You know, and um, we just for a while there we couldn't find them yeah it's like they're not in they're not in our local stores they're not you know available at the the um the blue the blue store or the red store uh without (laughs) saying names to get everybody upset or 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 the or the other um pharmacy store yeah sometimes sometimes okay okay, so i I have to ask, the blue store is Walmart. What is the red store? I, I, Target. I, Target. Okay, thank you. Target. I wasn't yes, putting sorry. that together. Okay. okay. Right, anyway, I'm talking on from Democrats our... and Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I was say, it's like Walmart, Walmart never had, had them, or they had one that was like six months old, and I already had it. Target either never had them or had also had ones that were six months old that I already had. Walgreens had a bunch it was it was like really weird. They had a bunch of them and then they didn't. Yeah. Or they said they had them and they never so, were in the store. So, anyways, we started looking on things like Amazon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and, and um, uh, lately we've been able to find them. Yes. Because uh, <laughs> I was wanting some of the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. I wanted Cad Bane. I wanted Aura Singh. I wanted um, Fennec Shan. Yeah. You know, I was like, <laughs> and then we also found one of the clone troopers, uh, uh, Wolf. Wolf. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of these unique, cool action figures, we're able to find them again. Yeah, and so, it's always fun. And it, there's stuff online where you see people who are professional photographers. They have things they set up stuff. And they use weird special effects and make really cool photos with these six inch figures because they're they're really good size and they're very posable. Some of these people yeah. are quite talented. I mean, I mean, they really should be doing something other than just doing the hobby thing. They yeah. should be hired by a company to do displays. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. photography. I haven't I seen those... the chip monsters in a while. Uh, they used to post on Twitter all the time. No, but it does seem like we are definitely seeing an easing of this too. And we talked about the PlayStation five a little earlier in the show. And I have to say that, uh, I think they may be true to their word. I'm seeing it on Amazon and it looks like you can buy them now from Sony. So, wow. Uh, you know, 
trying oh. to get uh, some of these things. And, you know, there's more important things in the supply chain issue than a video game or a, oh, an action yeah. figure. But the point is, if we're starting to see it get back to a little bit more normalcy, that hopefully will mean the same thing for everything else, right? So yeah, yeah like, you can hope. Yeah, like so, non necessities are coming back. So maybe the necessities will start. The coming necessity back. Are too, you know. <laughs> I guess it's order of importance, huh? So anyway, sure, so we'll keep an eye on that and everything else for you. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.